The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space contemplating Ireland through the community. This created by Carl Sinn. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome both to those of you online and joining us and our guests in the room uh, to the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute and to this special event, which is to mark the laying of the transatlantic cable from Ireland to Newfoundland and also to endorse the campaign to have the cable station on Valencia Island in County Kerry, declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site. My name is Eve Patton, and I'm director of the Trinity Longroom Hub. And in this beautiful building at the heart of the college, we support the very best of Trinity's research in the arts and humanities. Uh, so as you might imagine, uh, the subject of communication is very important to us. Uh, and it seems very appropriate to me that the Hub is hosting this evening's discussion about the wire that changed the world. The laying of the transatlantic cable was, of course, a breathtaking feat of uh, undersea engineering, but it was also a hugely uh, symbolic statement on the importance of international connection. And indeed, uh, as a scholar of literature myself, I was very pleased to learn that it was also something of a literary event uh, with over 600 poems written on the topic. Some of them not very good, <laughs> but uh, in one of the better ones, the American poet John Greenleaf Whittier wrote of the newly connected world that, and I quote, one in heart as one in blood shall all her peoples be, the hands of human brotherhood are clasped beneath the sea. Well, this evening we are fortunate to be joined by several guests who are going to tell us a bit more about the cable in its historical and cultural contexts, and I'll introduce them to you shortly. I'm also very honoured that we have with us the Canadian Ambassador, Her Excellence Nancy Smythe, you're very welcome, We'll also be saying a few words later on. But first, I'd like to warmly welcome uh, the Provost of Trinity College, Dr. Linda Doyle, who will, after she's said a few words, in turn uh, introduce a recorded message from uh, our very special guest speaker this evening, the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donahue. Provost. So, Ambassador, uh, distinguished guests, and our very special guests from Kerry um, and Kerry County Council, I'm actually delighted to be here. Uh, as ever, uh, the Long Room Hub is a cherished place in Trinity where uh, amazing events happen, and I think this is going to be an amazing event this evening. Um, I think the story of Valencia and the first cable is hugely interesting. But I have to admit, I'm totally biased. I'm actually an engineer, and my field happens to be telecommunications. And this is a story that I have had a long interest in. Um, the history of telecoms is, in fact, hugely important in Ireland. Um, last Monday, I actually had to give a talk uh, in honor of a woman called Mary Mulvihill. She was a well-known science communicator here in Ireland who, who died too young. 
Um, but she has a fantastic book called Ingenious Ireland. I don't know whether anyone here has seen it, but it, it, it maps out uh, all of Ireland and the various, I suppose, amazing scientific advances that were made in different places. And of course, there's many uh, scientific advances related to telecommunication. So I was kind of poring over those in the book. Um, and one that people might be familiar with here, um, actually on College Park here, uh, George Francis Fitzgerald was a scientist here in Trinity who was particularly interested in radio waves and kind of speculated that, you know, an oscillating current would give rise to electromagnetic waves. Um, and actually Heinrich Hertz proved this to be the case. And he actually was at the center of kind of designing uh, techniques for actually transmitting radio waves. So we have that history around us. I suppose we're all familiar with the history of the west of Ireland and how actually the connection with Canada when Marconi had his radio station. But actually before that was the amazing cable that connected Kerry and Canada. And Eve kind of mentioned it earlier, and I think it's very true to say that connectivity is so important uh, in our world. I think uh, the pandemic that we're all living through, uh, most of us couldn't have worked without remote working, even remote, remote, remote table quizzes, remote everything. Um, and I actually, uh, from a telecommunications background, often joke that none of you notice any of the work we do other than when things don't work. So it only then becomes visible. Um, here in Trinity, uh, telecommunications is a really important part of our research world. We're home to an SFI research centre called Connect, which focuses on future networks and communications. Um, I know it very well. I was the director of, of Connect myself. Um, but Connect focuses a lot on test beds. So we had test beds for Spectrum, test beds for the Internet of Things. The most recent one is called Open Ireland, uh, run by Marco Ruffini, and it's a fibre, wireless, and cloud test bed. And one of the things I used to always say, uh, you know, why should we not test the future in Ireland? I think because Ireland is you know, small and you could kind of imagine the future and test it out. But I think it's fair to say that this cable actually brought the future to Ireland. And I think that's really, really important. And that connectivity that Eve spoke of is just so, I think, central to how the world operates today. So Trinity recognises the historical significance of the story of the Valencia Island cable station. We're completely delighted to support the work of the Valencia Transatlantic Cable Foundation, who are working with the community in Kerry and Kerry County Council to restore that. I actually visited myself actually this summer by, uh, by coincidence, and it's just such an amazing place. And I completely and utterly also support uh, the UNESCO World Heritage, the pursuit of the UNESCO World Heritage status. I think it would be amazing to achieve that. And I think the kind of work that's envisaged for there will really make it a wondrous site to visit. Um, I'm aware that they're also working with at the other side at Hearts Content in Newfoundland. I was saying earlier, Hearts Content is just an amazing name of a place. Mm -hmm. um, and with a view to submitting uh, the transnational application to UNESCO. And I think that will really be important. And I'm delighted to see the ambassador Nancy here, here tonight with us. Um, I just want to end by saying that with a very contented heart, I am here uh, to listen to what I know is going to be uh, a really, really interesting set of talks. Um, you know, and to just thank a few people before. Thanks so much to our own Leonard Hobbs, uh, who uh, is chaired, uh, who chairs the Valencia Trans Transatlantic Cable Foundation. And even though, as he said to me, it's a hobby, uh, he just loves it so much. And he, he actually is always talking about it for anyone who has any questions. Um, 
I'd also like to thank uh, Minister Donoghue. I'll introduce him. I'll introduce the video in a minute and get back to him. But a special thanks to Donner de Coogan, who is actually an alum of here, and actually uh, uh, Professor Emeritus Brendan Scaife. I hadn't realised actually until this evening that Brendan Scaife was involved. And my connection to Brendan Scaife is he was my supervisor uh, 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 when I did my PhD. Um, and I was really delighted. He was absolutely amazing and a real deep understanding of, uh, he has a real deep understanding of all things electromagnetic. Uh, so I feel doubly connected. And I also know I wouldn't be here without Brendan Scaife having been in my life. So with that, uh, I'm going to um, introduce the video. Um, Minister Pascal Donoghue, uh, I think most people know here, is our Minister for Finance. He actually is an alumni of Trinity and uh, in fact actually I often say when he's visiting here I wish we could bottle his energy and passion for Trinity because he, he just loved it so much. He was here uh, not too long ago with a group of uh, colleagues from around Europe kind of showing off the university and the campus and, and you could really see the pride. But he has a huge interest in, in, this, in this project. Leonard has been telling me in the past of his interest. And he has kindly taken the time to record a video for us tonight because he can't be here. So um, I think I'll just hand back to you and you can show the video. So thank you very much, everybody. Uh, good evening. Uh, can I begin my few words by first extending an apology that I can't be there with you in person. Uh, due to government business, I'm out of the country today, uh, but I would really have enjoyed the opportunity to be present in this seminar on a project that I care so deeply about and that I've had the privilege of being able to support now over a number of years. What I'd like to do in the time that's available to me is speak about the relevance of Valencia, Ireland to modern Ireland and what are the themes from the endeavour and effort that took place on Valencia Island that I believe are really relevant to some of the broader choices, decisions and projects that are underway in our country at the moment. Uh, my first opportunity to visit Valencia Island came many years ago when my attention was drawn to a festival uh, that was called the Cable Festival that was organised on Valencia Island itself. And that was my first introduction to the romance and extraordinary heritage and history of the Cable Project and all of the extraordinary human effort that went into connecting different sides of the world in the 1860s. I actually had the opportunity to visit Valencia Island there only a few weeks ago met Leonard, met all of the team that are involved in the UNESCO World Heritage Project and was reminded again of what a brilliant project this is and how fitting it would be to be able to commemorate this moment of global history on Valencia. So when I walk onto the island and when I walk up to the cable station and when I meet people who understand the history and heritage of the site more than I do, what are the things that strike a chord with me regarding where Ireland, Europe and indeed the world stands today? There are four different things uh, that always uh, uh, strike me as being relevant to where we are at the moment and relevant to where we want to go in the future. The first one is the value of persistence, the value of having a dream, a dream that at times can look mad to others who are less convinced of it than you are and the value of grit and sticking with it 
and being reminded that every once in a while, dreamers, visionaries come along that are literally capable of changing the world. And that for me, in essence, is the story of Valencia Island, the story of Cyrus Field, the story of many bankruptcies, the story of three different attempts to connect different parts of the world. Uh, the, uh, all of the effort, uh, all of the history, the human history involved in actually making the transatlantic cable work, coming up with the idea, coming up with the concept that we can make the world closer together. Every time I'm reminded of that story, I'm reminded of the value of human endeavor and reminded of the difference that sometimes an individual can make to the course of human history. And I think that's very relevant regarding where we stand at the moment, uh, because we've been reminded yet again of the value of that individuals, of collaboration and of science as we've looked to confront challenges that at a few moments in time looked so difficult and even uh, begged the question as to how we would be able to make progress, how will we be able to overcome them. If I look at, for example, at the progress that we've now made in the development and the distribution of vaccines, uh, I'm reminded again of the value of science. I'm valued, reminded of the difference that sometimes a few individual uh, scientists can make to the course of progress. But I'm reminded even more strongly, actually, of the value of collaboration, of the value of how uh, individuals can come together in scientific organisations, in companies, through multilateral cooperation to achieve something that's exceptionally important to our future and to achieve something that at times looked so difficult to make happen. But the second theme that I believe is very relevant to where we are today is that individual endeavour, that persistence, that concept of having a vision was delivered in the 1860s in Valencia Island through technology, through science. And as I look at many of the different dynamics of change that are converging and where our world, where Europe, where Ireland stands today, uh, one of those vectors of change is the fact that we are on the foothills of another period of extraordinary technological change. Uh, we've gone through such change recently, but I believe that change is only going to accelerate. Whether that's quantum computing, whether it's the further development of artificial intelligence, whether it be what could even happen with our definition of what currency is, our definition of what a means of payment is. All of these developments augur periods of intensifying change. And why that's relevant to Valencia Island is Valencia Island reminds me that science, global uh, technological change can indeed change how we engage with the world and how we engage with each other. But that story in the 1860s also reminded me that countries or parts of countries, parts of the world that can identify what that potential change is going to be and then lead the development of that change have the ability to benefit very significantly from it. Their community can benefit from it or indeed countries can benefit from it. And I think that's really relevant to where we stand here in Ireland today. Kerry, Valencia Island, is the birthplace of 
the global communications revolution. It's therefore the birthplace of globalization. In my last visit to Killarney, I remarked that it sometimes surprises me that we don't hear more from Kerry in reminding us that they are the birthplace of globalization. But just as the very local communities in Valencia Island did see their lives change due to a small number of them identifying an extraordinary opportunity. Similarly, I think the question for us in our part of the world today is how can we identify those moments of technological change and play our role in making them happen? Obviously for the sake of the world, for the benefit of all who could experience that technology, but also to use that then as a, a further source of momentum for the development of our own country and the development of our economy. There are many different uh, opportunities in that kind of thinking, whether it's the kind of technologies that could lead our further transition to a lower carbon future, whether it would be harnessing uh, all of the um, investment in our country that's already underway, uh, that is centred in technology, centred in pharmaceuticals, how we can use that as a foundation for the next wave of economic development and the next wave of economic growth for our country. We've done it on other occasions. We did it when we made the decision to move from being a closed economy towards being a very open economy. We did it when we made the decision to use certain forms of economic development in financial services, in technology, as further pillars for our economic development. I think we need to do it again. And I think there's much in the history of Valencia Island that's relevant to the kind of thinking that we're doing at the moment about trying to find new engines of economic growth for our country in a world that's very quickly changing. Thirdly, the story of Valencia Island is also the story of a bridge. It's the story of a bridge between the then British Empire and the then uh, United States of America. Uh, that concept of being a bridge, a bridge between the United States of America, but in this context, given where we stand now, a bridge between the United States of America and the European Union is again something that I think it's really important to where Ireland stands now and where I believe we need to move to. Um, we have shown what we can achieve economically and politically when we can harness our membership of the European Union, our membership of the single market and our influence in Europe, when we have melded that, integrated that into a deeply warm friendship between Ireland and the United States of America. This is best um, exemplified by the many forms of international investment that are present in our country that have an American origin. But this is going to be something that we need to uh, harness, we need to consider even more in the future. As many of you will be aware, I made a really big decision in relation to the future of our corporate tax policy a number of weeks ago. And the kind of work we'll need to intensify in the future is how we can strengthen other pillars of our competitiveness and indeed create new pillars of competitiveness that ensure that the economic model for Ireland 
in the 2030s, 2040s, 2050s and beyond is very different and even stronger to the economic model that we had in Ireland in the 1990s and in the early noughties. And the insight of Valencia, of a bridge between America and another part of the world, is something that I think is very relevant to where we are now as we think about how we can continue to be a bridge between America and the European Union and harness the extraordinary qualities that both have. And then finally, the fourth area of relevance for me for Valencia and that kind of thinking is Valencia Island reminds us that those moments of great economic development, those moments of great change, don't have to happen in cities and, of course, don't have to happen in Dublin. What we need to do is continue to challenge ourselves to come up with models of economic development, new ways of growth that are about how all of our country can benefit. We need a new phase of economic growth and development in which all parts of our country have an opportunity to contribute to and benefit from. I think this kind of opportunity is intensifying. It's intensifying as we move into a lower pandemic environment, and I hope at a point in our near future, a no pandemic environment, which in turn is triggering new ways of thinking about the future of work and about where we work. And every time I set foot in Valencia Island, I'm reminded of the power of economic development that should be capable of allowing all of our parts of our country, all counties, all communities, to benefit from national economic development. Valencia Island reminds me that at other points in our history, it happened and it challenges us to think about forms of economic development that are rooted in local communities, but also embedded in global and national economic change that allows all to benefit from. So there are just some thoughts from me regarding why I believe the Valencia Island project is so wonderful. It's a moment in our history that we're doing more to commemorate, to reflect upon. But it's not just about our past. It's not just about where Ireland was in the 1850s and 1860s. It's about where Ireland needs to be in the 2050s and the 2060s. And the reason I'm so much in love with the island, uh, with this project to commemorate that dimension of Valencia Island's history, is not only do I think it's an extraordinary moment of endeavour in our country's history, I also believe it's a moment in our history that has much to teach us about our future too. So look, apologies again for not being able to join you in person this evening. I'd have loved to have done it. Unfortunately, uh, government business means I need to be uh, someplace else this evening. Do really hope the evening goes well. want to thank Leonard for his extraordinary commitment to this project and to thank Trinity College for all they're doing in continuing to support this great project. So look forward to having the opportunity to meet you in person at some point in the future. And of course, I really hope that if we have that moment of, uh, of uh, in-person contact, that we'll be able to do it on Valencia Island itself. Stay safe. Thanks for the opportunity to say a few words. And thank you for all of the support that you're giving to this great project. Thank you.
Well, an inspiring message and uh, our thanks to the Minister for taking the time to record those words and also thank you, Provost, for opening this evening's event. Now we are going to hear from our guest speakers, two experts who are also absolutely passionate about the Valencia Island story and about the cable. Uh, we're going to hear first from Dr. Donard de Kogan. And uh, as the Provost mentioned, Donard is a Trinity graduate, so I'm pleased to welcome him back. Um, he has family connections, uh, very uh, complex family connections to Valencia itself. He is an expert on many things, including cable code, uh, and he's also leading an international team which is working on the Valencia story. So I'm looking forward very much to hearing from you, Donard. And Donard will be followed from my colleague, Chris Morash. Chris is Trinity's Seamus Heaney Professor of Irish Writing. But he's also a leading historian of the media in Ireland. Uh, but even more appropriate, he is originally a Canadian who's now lived in Ireland for well over 30 years, I think, Chris. Uh, so he embodies in his very form uh, our transatlantic connection that we're celebrating this evening. Uh, so let me now welcome Donard and Chris to come and talk to you. Prompt. Provost, Your Excellency, honoured guests, Derive Galère, I'm delighted to be here talking to you, but I'm going to pick up immediately on something the Provost said about Brendan Scaife, because it embodies the sort of person I am, driven by curiosity, and above all, the desire to correlate one piece of information with another. Brendan's grandfather, I believe it was his grandfather, was the fourth superintendent at Valencia. But Brendan one time told me about his father who worked for Western Union in London and mentioned that his father had come home on one occasion and said to his mother, Churchill was in again today, the Western Union officers, speaking to Roosevelt. Now, the curious guy says, why did he have to go to the Western Union offices? Why didn't he go to the US Embassy? Click, 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 click. Piece of research. Because Churchill eventually pointed out to Joseph Kennedy that they had a spy in the cipher room of the American Embassy in London, a man named Tyler Kent. He was a Soviet spy. Well, actually, he wasn't. He was just totally against uh, Roosevelt's approach to um, assisting Churchill and Britain. But that's another history. But that's an example of trying to correlate different pieces of information. So I'm going to say that I have always been what I would like to call a wonder scientist. That is, somebody says, I wonder how they did that. Or I wonder if, I wonder if that paint is wet. It is. I wonder what would happen if I push this button. Boom! So, years ago, when I was about 12 years old, the eldest of a large family, 
I remember one of my siblings saying to me, Donard, could you explain to me what inflation is? And I said, well, it's like being on the telephone, ringing our aunt in California. And suddenly there's an interruption which says, hey, this, this, this is the operator speaking. Your time is up. If you want to speak any longer, you're going to have to put 100 pounds in the slot and press button A. How different history has been. Can you imagine looking back 63 years ago, how different that was then? Did we ever think we would be without telephone exchanges? Without phone boxes with button A and button B? Wow, so different. So one of my arguments here is that it is almost impossible to predict the future. And equally, it is extremely difficult to predict the past. Now, I don't mean predict the past, but to picture ourselves in the past. Because even if you take one of these TV reality programs where you take an entire family and put them into a Victorian house with no running water and outside lavatories, they still know about the internet. They're going to moan, the kids are going to moan because they haven't got their mobile phones. So it's not really there. So I'm going to start well before Valencia and say 1837, the first telegraphs. The expansion of land telegraphy. And I'm then going to say, right, 20 years afterwards, we are attempting to span the Atlantic. You had people like George Biddle Airy, the astronomer royal, saying, you'll never do it. The electric fluid can't withstand the pressures of the ocean floor. And yet, as I say in my other book, 2016 book, the wires are on the ocean floor, they talk along the deep. Sorry, Mangan, but it's a jolly good poem. <laughs> right, so what I'm proposing to do here is to spend the rest of my talk, a lot of my talk, indulging in a retrospective, looking forward, looking back. Because as I said, 1837, a message to America would take weeks. How long do you think it would take to get a message from Dublin to Belfast? Dublin to Galway? How fast could a horse go? Um, right, 1857, 1858, success, even if only short-lived, but it proved what was possible. Now, let's jump forward 100 years. 1957, TAT-1, the first transatlantic telephone cable, and one channel, it had 49 channels, and one channel was sufficient to make all telegraphy, telegraph cables across the Atlantic, obsolete. Now that's something. Right, 1957 I've just said, 1958, I was a student, a, no I shouldn't say a student, I was a pupil at Willow Park in Butterstown without realizing the technological significance of that place. Because a man named Henry Bewley, yes of the Bewley family here, um, took out a patent 
for the insulation of copper wire with gutta percha. He gave the British Empire the patent which allowed them total monopoly in communications. There should be a blue plaque at Willow Park saying Henry Bewley lived here. You've burnt down and built a hotel on his other edifice, which was the, uh, the um, Plymouth Brethren Church at the other side of Lincoln Place. Right, I'm going to jump another 10 years or so. 1967, I was in physics here, and I was the first year in which they taught transistors instead of valves. You know, how amazing. And that year, another pupil, Margaret Erskine, uh, and myself built Sinclair Micromatic Transistor Radios. We astonished our parents by having a radio that would fit inside a matchbox. It was one of those wonderful things. I remember sitting on a bus, by the way, traveling uh, near Cork. No, I've got to step back because I was in, a, just in, I don't know what you call it these days, the octagon you go into when you come through the front door. There was one of the rooms off there, and I had my trumpet, because I was a member of the orchestra here, but I remember someone rushing in saying, they want the Messiah in Cork. Yes, that was the year we were doing Handel's Messiah. I was the second trumpet, always waiting for the first trumpet to collapse, but he never did. Anyway. I was sitting beside Margaret, she had her Sinclair Micromatic on her knee, and I saw the Sinclair Micromatic jump forward. Our bus skidded down a hill in the ice and snow, and crashed into the bus in front. And I was very glad, because I could play the trumpet with gloves on. While I was feeling so sorry for the string players who were doing Why Do the Nations with no gloves, and their fingers must have been frozen. Anyway. That was 1967. Here's another extraordinary event. In 1968, I was in the chemistry department pulling glass fibers. And I remember somebody, one of the older people there, saying to me that they have just managed to get communications through one meter of glass fiber. Maybe sometime in the future, they will manage to get communications through one kilometer. Right. 1988, we just, we seem to jump these 20 years after that experience, TAT-8 was the first transatlantic telephone cable that used optical fibers. And the manager of that was a friend of mine an Ulsterman named Tom Rowbottom. There are so many of these people that we sort of lose track of. But I want to say, where did all of this start? Now, Minister Donahue has already mentioned the importance of Valencia, and I'm going to say, yes, it all started at Valencia. Because in addition to its geographical position, Valencia was the laboratory where all transatlantic communications were developed, both as a technology and as a business. We mustn't lose track of the fact 
that you had the technology and the business working hand in hand because the technology would develop could handle more traffic. More traffic meant lower rates. Lower rates meant more people using it. So, electrical effects which would not be noticed on short lengths of cable became dominant on long lengths of cable. And what happened was that the staff at Valencia and Hearts Content had to develop coping techniques which would deal with these limitations. Now, I could say, I could be critical of this, because the blighters never wrote down what these techniques were. But on the other hand, it has provided me and my students and lots of other people with lots of fodder to do research. And long may it continue. So, Ireland has a very good reason to be proud of Valencia. And it is also very good reason to be proud of the people who laid the foundations for global communications. I would put Henry Bewley as one of those, not recognized. Provost, you mentioned George Francis Fitzgerald, but of course the other person that we mustn't lose track of is Belfast Mann, even if he did all his work in Glasgow, William Thompson, Lord Kelvin. And of course the other man that we lose track of, William Howard Russell. Does that mean anything to you? No? Russell of the Times, the first news correspondent, the man who brought down three government administrations in London as a result of his messages back from the Crimea. I think he is important because he laid the foundations of war correspondence using telecommunications. So there's three people. So right. I don't know how far I've gone with my time, but am I doing okay? Right. Because I want now to come to my acknowledgements. In this book, in this book, and I will say it is indeed a wonderful book, but I want to say that it is a tribute to all who have contributed to it. God, that's bad English. Sorry, a tribute who contributed. Right. I have, I came across one recently, um, somebody said, I, you know, big buildings make me, psych give me psychological problems. It's a complex, complex, complex. <laughs> okay. Right. Of all of the people who've contributed to this, I think one of the most important people is without doubt Bill Burns, who I hope is watching, because Bill created the Atlantic Cable website years ago. And that website has become a repository for all sorts of lore, stories, all sorts of things. And it is, if you like, a place where people will deposit information, like I hope the people will deposit information in the future at Valencia. I know that my in-laws have lots of bits and pieces which could be deposited. So, Bill, were it not for what you have done, our research would still be in its infancy. And thank you ever so much.
I want to, to also thank everyone who has contributed. Americans, Finns, Italians, Portuguese, and so on, for this amazing document. And one of the important things at the very front of this document is the great sense of continuity. I know that most of you won't have time to read the foreword on page six, but we have a contribution from Adrian Fitzgerald, 24th Knight of Kerry, and we have a contribution from Cyrus Field IV, right back to the beginning. I also want to thank all of those people who have helped the world's worst proofreader trying to reduce his error count. I don't know if they've succeeded, but they've probably done a lot better than I could have done without them. I also want to thank several other people who probably have gone fairly unacknowledged to now, until now. Dr. Mairead McMenamin in St. John's, Newfoundland, and her husband, the late Professor Paddy McMenamin, acted as my hosts in St. John's in 1985 when the Royal Society gave me 500 quid to travel to St. John's and spend three weeks there researching the archives, the wonderful archives. Now, air travel is a damn sight cheaper now than it was then. And I could see the entire 500 pounds being, being spent on a ticket to St. John's. But fortunately, Paddy and Maraid looked after me and I'm ever so grateful. My final expression of gratitude must be to the Herndon and Graves families, whose documents and whose recollections got me started on this quest of which this has been a product. And I want to thank them and I want to thank you all and say good night. Dear Willigan. Right, thanks very much. Um, Ambassador, Provost, everybody else. What I want to talk about is the way in which when Leonard invited me to this place in 2018, it changed the way I thought about something I thought I knew about. That I thought I knew about the transatlantic cable. And it wasn't until I was actually there in the cable station in Valencia that I really came to understand what the cable meant. And that's what I want to share with you this evening. Since, actually since being in Valencia in 2018, uh, my rethinking of what I know about the cable has actually resulted in a few things. Um, the Canadian Journal of Irish Studies just published, um, I, I published a piece in that about the cable, which is illustrated, which ambassador, your opposite number, the Irish ambassador to Canada, Edmund McKee, has uh, actually picked up in his blog. But more, I'm more proud of this, or equally proud of this, that the, um, the um, Irish entry in the Venice Biennale, um, due partly to the good offices of the provost who put me in touch with a member of the college here who's involved with it, uh, the publication accompanying that, I have a piece in that which is about the cable station and about the way in which being in Valencia changed the way I thought about that cable. So how did people think about the cable? Or how did I think about the cable before I went to Valencia? 
Well, the key fact about cable, the simple fact about, tele, about the telegraph, first of all, the simple fact about the telegraph is the most astonishing one, that for the first time in human history, the telegraph separates transportation from communication. Up to the point where there's a telegraph, you could only send his message as fast as you could send a person. The telegraph breaks that link. So the telegraph is really about the relationship between time and space. How long does it take for something to go somewhere across a certain distance is transformed by the telegraph. So what interests me about the telegraph is the way in which the telegraph not only you know, sends information, but the way in which it allows people to see the world differently and understand their own relationship to time and space differently. So the real icon of the telegraph is this, which appears in multiple forms at the time, the map. The map of the Atlantic Ocean with the cables joining it. Because what the map shows us is the scale of things, the size of things. So, so many of the images that have to do with the telegraph are images of scale. So, for instance, when the 1865 cable was laid, the one that broke that they relayed the following year when the Great Eastern laid it, uh, a painter named Robert Dudley was commissioned to do a series of paintings. And his paintings of the laying of the telegraph are all about size, the size of the Great Eastern compared to the little ship beside it or the size of the cable drum dwarfing the men who are actually turning it. That it is about scale, it's about size, but it's about scale being overcome. That what the cable does is reduces the importance of distance, of size, of scale. What that constitutes is a paradigm shift in the way in which we experience something as basic as space and time in the world. Now, the minister a few minutes ago was talking about living, he referred to the idea of living in the foothills of a transformation in the way in which we experience our world. What is amazing about the telegraph, and particularly the 1858 telegraph, is that there is a sudden awareness of a paradigm shift in human consciousness as a result of the telegraph. And it manifests itself in all sorts of ways. That when the telegraph is first connected, there are a whole series of celebrations up and down, the, particularly the eastern seaboard of North America. There is a telegraph ball in St. John's. There's a telegraph ball in Halifax. Um, I have to mention Nova Scotia in here somewhere because that's where I'm from. Um, there, there's a hundred gun salute on the common in Boston. But the place that really explodes, literally in one case, is New York. Um, this is the fireworks display over the town hall, which lit the roof on fire. Um, but it, it, and if you notice, on the town or, or the city hall of New York is honor to Cyrus W. Field. So of course, Cyrus Field is at the heart of this. And part of it, part of it is showmanship. Cyrus W. Field was a showman as, part, as well as an entrepreneur. But I've become fascinated by the kind of paraphernalia, what we would today call the merch, the merchandising that goes around, that, that accompanies this, uh, this, this moment. Because there are genuine celebrations all in the streets of New York. There's a, there's a kind of half-day holiday declared in all of New York. 
things like the message from Queen Victoria to the president of the time, James Buchanan, Queen Victoria says that the telegraph is an additional link between nations. Buchanan does one up on her and says, may the Atlantic telegraph under the blessing of heaven prove to be an instrument destined by divine providence to diffuse religion, civilization, liberty, and law throughout the world. And then the mayor of New York does one up over the president and the queen, and he sends a message across to his opposite number, the Lord Mayor of London, where he says, that it ushers in an era in the world's history pregnant with results beyond the conceptions of the finite mind. And he goes on to say that it is a triumph of science and energy over time and space, which is where I've taken my title from. At another point during the celebrations, he told the crowd that he says, I have a message here from a little village in Cork. It was from Middleton, now a suburb of New York. And it was that sense that time and space had collapsed that was just so profoundly and suddenly felt at the moment the cable was connected. And the phrase that came into circulation and would continue in circulation was the annihilation of time and space. So this is, this is what you start to see in 1858. This is Cyrus W. Field being presented with, uh, with, with, with a special, uh, a, a special well, series of certificates and awards and so on um, in, in the, actually the Crystal Palace that was in New York at the time. Um, these actually, these, I've looked at these, these are in the New York Public Library. It's a whole series of stereoscopic slides that you looked at with something like this, so that if you missed the crowds on the streets, you could buy the stereoscopic slides to look at the crowds of people who were in the streets. Um, that's, you know, this is how big a thing it was, and this is the crowds kind of going down, actually going down a bit of Fifth Avenue there. There were also lots of other things. This is the image that's actually on the cover of the book that Donat was showing us. You could buy all sorts of prints like this that you could frame in your house. You could buy things like specially made Atlantic telegraph cable or Atlantic cable ribbons to put on your horse. Um, and for the gentleman who had everything, Tiffany's were offering a walking stick with a silver bit on it, but with a bit of the cable built into the shaft, a bit of leftover telegraph cable actually built into the shaft. So there was, there was all this sort of, if you like, a kind of hype that was built around it um, that, that had produced a kind of popular celebration. But what, what interests me more is the kind of language that was also being used at the time. Um, if you start to look at the sort of things that are being published, Eve mentioned all the poems that were published at the time. There were a whole series of poems like this, speed, speed the cable, let it run a loving girdle round the earth till all the nations neath the sun shall be as brothers at one hearth. It's one of the less bad ones, but there are, there's a lot of poetry published. But what's even more interesting to me is that there were sermons preached. The Reverend Cortland Van Rensselaer, who was a kind of superstar preacher at the time, Presbyterian preacher in New Jersey, told his parishioners in September of 1858, he said this, to what but the imposing help of divine providence can be ascribed the successful deposit in the lower parts of the boisterous ocean of a wire measured in size by a human finger and in length a twelfth part of the distance around the globe. And that sermon was published, and again, that's in the New York Public Library. 
Ezra S. Gannett told his congregation in Boston on the Sunday after the cable was connected in August of 1858, the connection of the old world with the new in the middle of the 19th century is as strictly providential as was the discovery of America at the close of the 15th. So you get things like, for instance, this is from a cable celebration, a religious celebration. This is actually a hymn. So we could, you know, we could all join in and sing the hymn. With thy word woven cord, bind all men to the Lord, and man to man. Thy thou, tie thou, sorry, the hands of war strangle the tyrant's law. Shut up the lion's jaw, loosen the lamb. That there is a religious language that gets woven into the discussion of the cable, to this celebration of technology. And Cyrus Field encouraged this. I mean, in a pamphlet he published before the cable was laid, he suggested that the plateau along the Atlantic, the floor of the Atlantic on which the cable was laid, was actually put there by God, so that when the cable came to be laid, there was a trough in which it would sit nicely. The image that always gets me, though, is this one. No, sorry, oh, this is one thing I was going to mention as well. We could do this at the end. We could dance the transatlantic polka. <laughs> the results of music. But the image that always gets me is this one. Again, this is a print um, that's, that's in the New York Public Library. This is a coil of leftover transatlantic cable that was paraded down Fifth Avenue um, during the celebration. And it reminds me of nothing so much as the parading of a saint's relics. Um, and, and I mean that in all seriousness. I think what it, we're seeing here is an almost kind of religious reverence for the triumphs of technology. Now, why is this interesting? Well, the other set of images that become widely circulated at the time of the cable are of the places at either end, Valencia at one end, Heart's Content on the other. And these are images of wildness. I mean, here is an image of Valencia, and you can see the kind of the bonfire on the hill, and these kind of small figures, and particularly the figure that catches your eye is the woman in the red cloak, which to anybody who's familiar with representations of Irish peasants would know that Irish peasant women quite often wore red cloaks in the 19th century. Here's one of Robert Dudley's paintings from the time. And again, you have this group of sort of Irish peasant characters gathered in the foreground with this huge sort of looming romantic sky. We have a kind of picturesque poverty here. Uh, the other end of the cable landing, you get the same thing. Here we have them you know, look, throwing their hats up in the air while they pull the cable ashore um, on Trinity Bay uh, on the 4th of August, 1858. This is a picture of the first cable station on the Newfoundland side. And if you start to look closely at it, you know, you, you notice things like the lad in the corner playing with the pig. Um, you know, that again, there's a kind of picturesque poverty here in this image. And I love this image of, you know, here they are busy inside the cable station. Now, they don't seem to be busy doing much. This fellow's come in from hunting with his rifle. Looks like a fishing rod up in the corner. These three lads by the fireplace are doing um, a whole lot of nothing. That there's a sort of, again, there's a kind of romanticized pastoralism about this. And again, these images are kind of widely circulated as part of the triumph of, of the whole cable laying exercise that we managed to do it in these wild places. What changed the way I saw the cable was going to Valencia in, in 2018. 
and not so much looking at the cable station, but turning my back on it and looking across the bay. Because when you look across from the cable station, you're looking at Kahar Saivin. And in Kahar Saivin, there was the, one of the largest workhouses in Munster during the famine. And I mean, it was actually slated, the roof, the, the roof was actually made of slate from Valencia Island. Now, what we have to remember is that in 1858, when that first cable was run, there were still people in that workhouse. In 1851, there were still over 200,000 people in workhouses in Munster alone, simply because if they were not in the workhouse, they would have been starving. So there's sometimes a tendency to think of the Irish famine as, a, you know, black 47 one year. It wasn't. It continued on into the 1850s, into the time that the cable was being laid. I was reminded of this when I came across a, 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 a speech that a clergyman named the Reverend Robert Collis, who had earlier published a spiritual commentary on electricity, um, gave in 1866 um, at a ceremony in Valencia Island to mark the sailing of the Great Eastern the second time. And he came at the end of the row of speakers. And he said, he did, sorry to dampen the mood, he said, but he said, I want to remember the multitudes of their beloved countrymen from different parts of the country going forth who had basically left these shores because they had to immigrate because of starvation. And for instance, Valencia Island itself, in the decade between 1841 and 1851, lost almost a third of its population. In the years 1845, 46, and 47, the leading cause of death in Valencia Island was starvation. 80% um, of the population of Valencia was illiterate in 1841. In 1851, that was only 35%. Not because the schools had got better, but because the illiterate, by and large, had immigrated or died. What's fascinating is that when you look on the other side of the Atlantic, you find similar kinds of things. This is Richard Henry Bonnycastle writing in 1842. And this is a book that was intended to attract people to Newfoundland. But what he found in Newfoundland was such appalling poverty that he couldn't overlook it. And interestingly, he compares it to Ireland. No person who has ever traveled much not even in those districts in Ireland, where the mud hut is scarcely cover for the inhabitant, can fancy the extreme wretchedness of the accommodation of the very poor of this island. And he tells a story of meeting with a family who the husband had gone out seal hunting, seal fishing, and they hadn't caught any seals. And when he came back, basically the family had no food. And they were living this is the kind of mud hut he's talking about that was common in Ireland as a form of accommodation at the time. So this is what he's comparing it to. But a lot of people were living in, this is a fairly romantic version of it, what was known as a tilt. Now a tilt was a kind of hut you made in the woods that was basically just made out of kind of bits of tree. It was a kind of temporary dwelling made out of bits of tree. And there are numerous accounts from Newfoundland from the 1840s and 1850s of people, when the seal fishery particularly, but when the fishery is poor, having to live in the woods and basically scavenge and live in these kind of mud, these, 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 these wooden huts. In fact, there was even a member of the legislature, the Newfoundland legislature in 1852, had to um, explain to the legislature that there were some members of, of some of his constituents who believed that the telegraph wires, the overland telegraph wires, had caused the bad weather 
that had actually des destroyed the fishery that year. Uh, amazing how kind of conspiracy theories are always with us. So what we have then on both sides of where the cable lands is this extreme juxtaposition. And it struck me when I read what is the main 19th century history of Newfoundland, D.W. Prowse's History of Newfoundland, uh, published in 1892. And he ends it by saying for him the highlight of the century was that moment in 1866 when there was the joining of the hemispheres and the complete annihilation of time and space. And then he goes on to mention the Trinity Bay disaster which took place that same year when 26, or sorry, 24 people died in fishing boats when a storm came up, 13 of whom froze to death in open boats in Trinity Bay, which is exactly where Hart's content is located. So they possibly drowned over the site of the cable. Why is this important? There are lots of places where we could memorialize the triumphs of technology. There are lots of places where we could memorialize the telegraph. But what Valencia on one side and Hart's content does on the other is forces for us a form of ethical remembrance. And that to me is the real importance. And that was the thing I saw when I went to Valencia Island. We have to remember that the triumphs of technology and the disasters of history often occupy the same space. And if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of what technology can do for us. So for me, Valencia, heart's content, provide us with that kind of ethical remembrance. And that is, I think, something we should never lose sight of. Thanks. Well, thank you very much, Donard and Chris. And Chris, you've reminded us, of course, that this isn't a story simply about technology. Uh, it's about the coming together in time and space of Ireland and Canada with their shared and sometimes sad heritage. And, and we appreciated that very much indeed. And it's an opportunity now for me to uh, invite uh, Canada's ambassador to Ireland, Her Excellency Nancy Smythe, to come and say a few words to you and also to ask if Leonard Hobbs will join us. And Leonard, as you know, is Director of Research and Innovation here in Trinity, but he's also the chairperson of the Valencia Transatlantic Cable Foundation and very much one of the driving forces uh, behind the, the present campaign. So please uh, do come and uh, talk to us, both of you. Thanks very much. That's hard to top. Uh, and I won't even attempt, and I'll just be very brief, but I'll start by saying thank you very much to the provost, to Linda, and to Leonard, uh, and to all of you who I now look around the room and, and think of as some of my new friends here in Ireland um, as we come here to, to learn, I mean, a tremendous amount tonight about a place that uh, I think, like you, um, I now imagine so much differently for having been there in person. So thank you for being, <clears throat> letting me be a part of this. And I think this event uh, really has taken on a greater personal meeting, uh, meaning because of that visit and the participation in the annual Valencia le lecture that was held at the cable station in County Kerry. And now a stunning museum offering, a digital hub for innovation, 
and also that opportunity to be able to see and hear the energizing community spirit, which is so much a part of what's going on right now uh, in Valencia on the island, advancing uh, employment, tourism, heritage preservation on the island. Um, and so it's wonderful to see uh, Michael Lynn and other colleagues who I had a chance to hear from firsthand. And thanks to a wonderful recent RTE production, um, I was able to better see the Canadian side of what we're also learning more about here tonight with Professor Mirage. And it's not a place I've yet visited, <clears throat> but through that production was able to actually see and understand even better what binds those two communities uh, today. Um, and also to understand from those two events the passion that is like in this room, also there uh, on the Newfoundland side in terms of seeing uh, Seeing, seeing things advance. Minister Steve Crocker, but also Jerry Osman, who may be here with us, and just to recognize and acknowledge them, and also um, many others who have been passionately pushing this in Canada. The collaboration actually between Canada and Ireland, and here I'm going to talk about much more recent dates than we've been hearing about, so we're really fast forwarding uh, to 2013, when the two countries began to discuss this potential and I suppose this dream for a transboundary UNESCO World Heritage nomination for the transatlantic cable, Valencia, heart's content. And together these sites, which we've heard tonight uh, so eloquently described by the minister and by others that represent this major milestone in the history of global communications, the birthplace of globalization as it's been described, and really this peak of human innovation that made the impossible seemingly impossible possible and representatives from the provincial government of newfoundland and labrador who are leading these on the site on the ground efforts uh, have had the opportunity to visit valencia in 2019 followed up by another visit in february 2020 by parks canada who's leading uh, on the canadian side and attending a workshop touring the valencia cable station the original cable station Canada undertook a comprehensive, comprehensive review of our tentative list in 2017, which added Hearts Content cable station along with seven other candidates to this list. And as you will know, updating a country's tentative list is an important process of the World Heritage Convention, and it can be a complex and lengthy process. And when I heard the minister talking about perseverance, that we were inspired by all of those years ago. I think, uh, you know, this is an exercise of perseverance as well. And during this review process, Canada was of the, the opinion that the Heart's Content cable station, which is already a provincial historic site, together with its sister site, meets World Heritage high standard of outstanding universal value with respect to its cultural heritage significance for the international community. So we welcome continued collaboration between Hearts Content, Newfoundland, Parks Canada, and our Irish partners, the Valencia Transatlantic Cable Foundation, working closely with Valencia and with Cary County Council to advance the inclusion of Valencia in their country's tentative list. And in support of these efforts, the communities of Hearts Content and Valencia signed a declaration of cooperation only in 2020 uh, that was actually uh, broadcast live uh, at last year's Valencia uh, lecture event 
making that commitment to continue to work together. So it is our mutual goal, um, as you've heard tonight, to develop this nomination as a transboundary site. And this unique initiative truly highlights that inspiring example of creativity, of innovation, of collaboration. And thanks to this evening, I have some new ways also of thinking about this collaboration. And so really encouraging these communities to continue to work together to amplify this recognition. Um, and not only for this important common heritage, but also for their efforts for a sustainable future in those communities. So thank you uh, again to Leonard and thanks for being here. I know Leonard is going to make sure uh, that I continue to, to accompany uh, you on this journey. Thanks very much. Uh, thank you very much, Ambassador and Provost. Thank you indeed for hosting us uh, in the Long Room Hub for tonight's uh, event. Um, I'd like to start with a story, actually, that I just got lit in the last few days. And it, it just reminds me why, why I love this story, because it's really about connections and connecting people together. It's just amazing. And you heard some new ones tonight that were made with, with Provost, with uh, Professor Scaife. It's just incredible how it seems to bring people together. But uh, I, I was shared, this story was shared with me by Gordon Graves, uh, who's, who's a house on the island. He's, he's, I think he's the great-grandson of of, of the Graves, who was the original superintendent in the cable station, indeed was a, was a man of great science and great great innovation. Um, but uh, he, unfortunately, Gordon can't be here. I think he's online, so I say hi to Gordon. But but he told me a story uh, that he had heard when he was here a student in Trinity, um, and it, it came from uh, somebody of the name of Hercules Henry Graves Macdonald, who was who was the son of the very Reverend Richard Macdonald, uh, who was the 29th provost um, of of um, Trinity College, and indeed, uh, for like the existing, the current province, a Cork person. So I just tried to throw that in as well. Um, but um, but apparently the story was uh, there was a gentleman invited to do this demonstration uh, in the common room, which is just across the square here from us. And uh, in this demonstration, there was two two boxes, and there was a dial on each box. And uh, by turning one dial through a wire that was connected, could move the other dial. And the people who were the, who the, the, the gatherers who gathered to see the experiment were, were not at all impressed, actually. They, they didn't think, think, think much of it. And he said to them, he said, gentlemen, he said, you do not appreciate what you have just seen. But let me say, if the wire were 100 miles long, the same thing might occur. Uh, the person was a gentleman called Charles Whitstone. And for those of you who know your physics, was a very famous, uh, very famous scientist. Um, and indeed, a lot of what he did, a lot of what he invented, was enabled the, the technology. So again, it shows you um, the connections back here to Trinity yet again. Um, that uh, that that there was somebody here just uh, demonstrating technology that was to be used in this cable. Um, if I could um, just give you a very quick update on the project itself. Um, the as as we mentioned, um, we, you know we're pursuing UNESCO heritage. It's a transnational project. It's really exciting. We're doing it together with Canada for a number of reasons, apart from the, the technology itself, the, 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 the side of the Canadian project are very good at doing UNESCO. Uh, they're kind of black belts in it, so we're going to, we're going to, uh, going to hang on their coattails uh, over the next number of years. But, but it's really, it's, it makes the, the project all, all, the more, all the more exciting. But just today, actually, uh, the minister, or our minister, Malcolm Noonan, who's the Minister for Arts, or uh, certainly for Arts and Heritage, um, endorsed the recommendation, along with other recommendations for the Irish tentative list. Uh, for the for the Valencia project, so so it's a very exciting day for us in that regard. Um, if I could just maybe thank a few people, I'd certainly like to thank the, the Longham Hub for hosting us uh, for hosting us here this evening. I'd like to thank the, lots of my colleagues and friends from Kerry who've travelled 
Um, thanks, Linda, actually, for the province for her strong endorsement of this project. If I could say hello to some people online as well, uh, I know that Gerry Osmond, who's the uh, Assistant Deputy Minister for Arts and Heritage in, in Newfoundland, is online tonight. Gerry's a great colleague, um, and we meet Gerry actually every two weeks. We, we drag him, we drag him out of his, his office and <laughs> give the chat to us every few weeks. So Gerry is. Uh, is a great is a great uh, uh, component of it. He did get promoted though to assistant deputy minister just recently, so we take great credit in that <laughs> that he got he got that uh, that um, uh, promotion. Um, also, uh, if, if I could uh, actually thank uh, Kerry County Council, who've been incredible. I mean, this is really Kerry County Council's project, and John Griffin, who's here, is an absolute stalwart uh, in in that regard. Uh, Maura Morell, the chief executive, has also made the journey, and Maura has been a fantastic supporter of the project. And if I could call out Brendan Griffin as well, TD, who's with us tonight. And Brendan again has been a great supporter, and he's travelled. He's travelled to this to the, the cable station. Brendan has actually travelled to Valencia, too. Sorry, to Hearts Content as well, uh, to, uh, the cable station. So, so he's a real, a real, a great, a great supporter. Um, however, I'd be completely amiss if I didn't talk about community in Valencia. And I think the ambassador mentioned it. This project is really about community. Um, and while it, rec while, it while it celebrates this amazing heritage, it's about the community. And the reason we put the foundation together at all uh, some years ago was to assist the, to assist the community in making the project, in in any way we can, in making this project happen. Because we were committed to helping the island to use this project, along with many other projects they have going on down there, really to, to bring the island along to help it to meet the kind of challenges, and it's ironic what you were talking about, Chris, it still has challenges today, like many rural communities, um, in, trying to, in trying to keep its young people, trying to, trying to create a future for its young people. It's a huge challenge they have, and that's really what this, can, what this, what this project is about. And, and I really want to acknowledge uh, Michal Lyne, uh, who's here with us tonight. Michal is the chairman of the Valencia Line Development Community. They do an amazing work in Valencia. And actually, I'd, I'd like to recognise Michal for something that's very local to us here, literally within 100 metres of, of us here. There's a, a building called the Rubrics, one of the, I think it's the oldest building in Trinity College. It's going through restoration at the moment, and the, the roof is being replaced, and the slate that's going onto that roof is from Valencia. And the reason we can do that is because Michal, as an entrepreneur, reopened the slate yard in Valencia some decades ago. So thank you, Michal, for your so, as I said, it's, it's, it's been a real pleasure and a privilege for me to work with the, with the community in Valencia and uh, always, get, always get a very warm welcome there when, when, when I go there, despite my various faux pas with things about West and North and East Kerry, get, get it wrong every time. Um, but, um, and also, just to, to mention that, uh, as well as the heritage, uh, a very important thing we're doing in Valencia is, is, an, is innovation. Uh, because we're restoring the cable station to be an innovation hub as well as a, as a place of heritage. So, so very much a, du a, dual, a dual project there. And it, I, I think it's kind of exciting because not only are we recognising the heritage, but we're also recognising the entrepreneurship that that island was about, the project was about, and still today exists on the island. That, that spirit of entrepreneurship and that spirit of just getting things done. I think it's really fantastic. And, and I would like to, I think uh, a few speakers, uh, Chris and, and Nancy, both mentioned the fact that I corralled them to come speak in Valencia and how, how impacted they were. So really, I'll, anybody else who wants to come, I'll, I'll, I'll track you down and, um, and would love to see you there. And if I could, again, just call a colleague of mine, Mary Rose Stafford, on the project. Mary Rose is here as well tonight. She's from the Monster Technology University. We wouldn't have this project if it wasn't for Mary Rose's original idea. Um, and what she's also done recently is, uh, is established this amazing exhibit in the cable station. It'll be opened in March. It's a fantastic exhibit. Great for families, actually, if you want to come and see the story come to life. It's a, it's a fantastic exhibit. So we hope to see you all there um, in Valencia. 
uh, next next summer. And just finally to finish, uh, if you do want to learn more about the project or indeed get involved with us on the project, then uh, ValentiaCable.com is our website. And uh, please do just drop an email through there and we'll be, we'll be in touch. So again, thanks very much to, uh, to everybody for, for this evening and to all the speakers and for, for, the, for the, the generous time you spent with us. And with that, I'll hand back to, to Eve. Thank you. Thank you, Leonard. Well, earlier this evening, the minister uh, talked about the story of this cable being the story of a bridge. Uh, and that has really stayed with me over the course of the evening. What a great story this is about connection and collaboration and bridging. And it's been an absolute pleasure to hear about Valencia and the cable and about Newfoundland. Uh, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and learned a great deal. Uh, so let me bring things to a close simply by saying thank you to the Provost for being with us, to the Ambassador for joining us, to Chris and to Donard for your wonderful talks, uh, and to Leonard and indeed all the, the Kerry team. Uh, we wish you the very best of luck with this campaign. Uh, I'd like to also, as always, uh, thank the wonderful team in the Trinity Longroom Hub who've put this event together uh, so well. Uh, and to uh, thank our audience, you in the room with us, and also our wonderful large audience that has joined us online. Uh, uh, greetings to you all. There will be many more events from the Trinity Longroom Hub over the coming months, so please do keep an eye on our website, uh, and I hope you'll be joining us again in the very near future. But for now, take care, everyone, and good night. The hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures, stamping provenance Languages towards the history to of the Time of the Year Library. As well as being heard. The hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral The hub is about impact. The hub is for everyone. The rise of feminism. Here's to the next 10 years.